Welcome to Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem, a production of the Yellowstone Wildlife Sanctuary, where each week we explore a different facet of one of the largest nearly intact temperate zone ecosystems on Earth. This is the first episode of our reformatted full-length podcast. Freed from the two-minute format imposed by our old Two Minutes in the Yellowstone Ecosystem radio broadcast, we can now explore topics in greater depth. My name is Gary Robson, and I'll be co-hosting the new podcast with our education manager, Courtney Long, who wasn't able to join us for recording this week. What do all of these fairy tales and fables have in common? Little Red Riding Hood from Italy. The Three Little Pigs from Europe. Aesop's The Boy Who Cried Wolf from Greece. The Wolf in Sheep's Clothing Story from the New Testament. Fenrir from Norse Mythology. The Wolf and the Fox, Grimm's Tale from Germany. Malsum in the Algonquin Glooscap legend. The answer? They all feature the Big Bad Wolf. We have been taught since childhood to fear wolves, and it's even spilled over to their cousins, the coyotes. Aren't there any good wolves in literature? Oh, we can find a few. There are the wolves that raised Mowgli in the Jungle Book, the wolves that raised Romulus and Remus in Roman legend, and Issa, the creator god of the Shoshone and Bannock tribes. But those tend to be few and far between. There's been a long history of persecution for wolves, beginning in Europe and Asia. Wolves were wiped out in much of Western Europe, in the 1500s in England, the 1600s in Scotland, the 1700s in Ireland and Denmark, the 1800s in Switzerland. Currently, wolves are considered regionally extinct in eight European countries. In some areas, though, wolves have returned. The last wolf in Germany was killed in 1904, but they are back. They were killed off in 1966 in Sweden and 1973 in Norway, but they repopulated themselves from Finland. As they said in Jurassic Park, nature will find a way, and wolves will often move from an area where they are overpopulated, or at least adequately populated, into areas with lower populations so they can establish themselves in bigger territories. Wolves were persecuted, but never fully extirpated in Eastern Europe, and the overall populations in Asia are still up in the hundreds of thousands. In North America, wolves once ranged over most of the continent, all of what's now the U.S. and Canada, northern Mexico, almost down to Mexico City, and in the northernmost part of Greenland. The population in Mexico since then has been virtually extirpated. There are just a few dozen Mexican wolves, El Lobo, that remain, and we'll talk about them in a few minutes. The U.S. population has been dramatically reduced as well. These days, you can only find gray wolves in Alaska, parts of the Pacific Northwest, and the Northern Rockies. There are about 131 Mexican wolves left in Arizona and New Mexico. They were essentially wiped out and then reintroduced in 1988. So, mentioning these different wolf species, what kinds of wolves are there? The majority of wolves in Europe and North America are gray wolves, also known as timber wolves. Those are the ones we see more often, although there are many other subspecies of wolves. 
In North America, in addition to the gray wolf, we have two others. The Mexican wolf is the smallest North American wolf species, weighing in at about 60 to 90 pounds. They were extirpated in the wild, essentially wiped out, leaving the only remaining population captive animals. 1977 through 1980 was the last movement to capture the wild Mexican wolves and put them into captive breeding programs. Once those breeding programs started to produce more of a captive population, reintroductions began in the United States in 1998 and in Mexico in 2011. The red wolf is considered by IUCN to be critically endangered. The red wolf is an interesting species because as they've done DNA analysis, they've found evidence of both coyote and wolf genes blended in the red wolf. We don't know how long ago the red wolves emerged as their own species, but we do know today that they can interbreed with both gray wolves and coyotes. In our ecosystem, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, wolves were essentially extirpated in 1926 when park rangers killed two pups in Yellowstone Park. Those were the last known in the park. Since then, there have been hundreds of unconfirmed sightings. If you ask somebody that has lived or ranched or traveled in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, they'll all have comments about, well, Grandpa did see a wolf and he got a picture and we're pretty darn sure it was a wolf and not a coyote. And that was back in the 1930s or that was back in the 1940s. The last confirmed killing of a wolf in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem was 1943 by a sheep herder on the Wind River Reservation. The unconfirmed sightings continued after that. They may have been wolves. There were probably some wolves in there. They may also have been coyotes or foxes. Confirmed sightings in the park started happening around 1977. The formal reintroduction of wolves happened in 1995. That is the subject of a whole podcast in and of itself, and we're going to be doing exactly that, spending some time talking about that reintroduction and the effect of wolves on the ecosystem in an episode later in 2020. You may have been lucky enough to hear the howling of wolves or of coyotes. How do you tell the difference between the two? I have a clip here of our coyotes at the Yellowstone Wildlife Sanctuary and the wolves howling back and forth at each other. Give this a listen. The higher-pitched yipping and barking with the drawn-out yip-yip-yip howl is the coyotes. The long, drawn-out howl is our two wolves harmonizing with each other. Wolf reintroduction, in fact, the existence of wolves in North America, is a very controversial subject. I mentioned earlier in this episode the fear that humans have for wolves that's been carried on in our mythology, in our fables, in our myths, and in the stories that we tell our children. In The Fear of Wolves, a review of wolf attacks on humans from the Norwegian Institute of Natural Research in 2002, 
They report that no humans have been killed by wild wolves in North America in the 20th century. None. So our fear for ourselves appears to be groundless. Wolves, at least in North America, just aren't killing people. Domestic dogs, by contrast, kill an average of 30 people per year in the United States, that coming from living with wolves. This doesn't mean, of course, that being killed by a wolf or having a member of your family killed by a wolf is the only concern. People are concerned about wolf depredation, the killing of their livestock, mostly sheep and cattle, by wolves. According to Montana Wolf Conservation and Management 2018 Annual Report, there are about 819 wolves living in the state of Montana right now. That population peaked in 2013, came down a little bit, and it's been roughly stable for the last three years. With that population of, let's call it 800 wolves in the state of Montana, last year, 2018, the confirmed Montana depredation numbers were 64 cattle, 7 sheep, and 2 dogs. A grand total of 60 wolves were killed for livestock depredation, 43 of them by the USDA, 17 by private citizens. So that means the number of wolves that were killed for killing livestock and pets is about the same as the number of livestock and pets that were killed by the wolves. Nine wolves, in addition, were killed illegally in the state of Montana. One of the ways that wolf depredation is dealt with in Montana is through hunting. By using hunters to reduce the wolf population, the theory is the depredation will also go down. Whether depredation numbers go down or not, though, hunting is a way to generate revenue to pay farmers and ranchers for their losses. During the 2018-2019 wolf season that ended back in March, there were 166 wolves killed by hunters and 129 by trappers, setting a record of 295 total wolves killed during the wolf season. 295. That is out of 17,000 wolf hunting licenses that were sold for that period. Almost 15,000 of those were resident, people who lived in Montana, and about 2,000 were non-residents that came here in the hopes of shooting a wolf. These 17,000 hunting licenses generated almost $388,000 in income for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. The Montana Livestock Loss Payouts were 100% of the fair market value of the animals. And this includes probable wolf kills, not just the ones that were confirmed to be a wolf. $82,959 was paid out to 40 livestock owners for the loss of 84 head of livestock and two dogs. So a little under $1,000 per animal paid out to the people who lost their animals due to wolves or suspected wolves. By comparison, payouts for grizzly depredation in 2018 were a little over $113,000, and for mountain lion were just shy of $34,000. 
One of the things that comes up constantly when you're talking about wolves and whether there should be wild wolves roaming the greater Yellowstone ecosystem is their effect on the population of prey animals. Specifically, the first to come up will be elk. Wolves tend to prey on whatever they were taught to prey on when they were cubs. So if a litter of cubs is raised by a pair of wolves that eat elk, which during the reintroduction is how the wolves to be introduced were chosen, they all ate primarily elk, those cubs will grow up eating elk. I've personally been in the park and watched wolves lay quietly as deer walked by them, as bison walked by them, and then get up and go to hunt elk. If they have a preferred prey, that's always what they'll take unless they get really hungry. The elk population in Montana was 136,000 in 2008. It was 134,500 this year, 2019. The elk population in the state has not really been dropping. If you look at Yellowstone National Park itself, there was a significant drop in the elk population after the wolf reintroduction. That was not only expected, but it was one of the reasons for doing the reintroduction. The elk population, lacking the key predator in the area, had grown to unsustainable proportions, and elk were starving to death, and the ones that weren't hit by cars in the road were simply dying. Slaughtering wolves in America hasn't been a casual thing. It's been around since the pioneers were first moving across the American West, eliminating any animal that appeared to be dangerous. In 1885, a government agency was formed that became later the U.S. Biological Survey and eventually the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. The livestock industry pressured them into starting a program called Animal Damage Control, which slaughtered 1,800 wolves and 23,000 coyotes in national forests in 1907. Soon after that, government-sanctioned wolf killing in Yellowstone National Park began. At the time, the park was managed by the United States Army, and in 1914, the Army started killing off wolves in the park. That was when the rules were introduced that said nobody else was allowed to kill wolves in the park. Uh, prior to that, anybody visiting the park was free to kill any large predator. And it's not just wolves. The 2018 program data report from the USDA, the same agency that enforces the Animal Welfare Act, showed a yearly kill of, let me take a deep breath for this one, 357 wolves, 303 badgers, 338 black bears, 384 mountain lions, 642 armadillos, 710 river otters, 1,002 bobcats, 1,735 woodchucks, at least 3,528 foxes. The reason I say at least there is there were a number of fox dens that were destroyed, caved in, or had poison planted in them, and they really don't know how many were killed in that action. Um, in addition, 8,285 rabbits, 9,566 raccoons, 22,522 beavers, 68,292 coyotes, 
tens of thousands of prairie dogs. Again, we just don't know how many because of the burrows that were crushed, poisoned, or collapsed, or flooded. Um, numerous other mammals, and over a million birds. So in the United States, the USDA kill total for 2018 was over 2.6 million animals. About 44% of those were invasive species. A great deal of those were things like European starlings. The other 56% were North American wildlife. The methodologies matter. When going out to eliminate a predator is done by watching the evidence, finding the animals that are actually sheep killers, that are actually responsible for depredation of livestock, and eliminating those, you can basically train the behavior of the wild animals. The ones who kill off livestock get killed. The ones who don't survive. The indiscriminate killing, on the other hand, tends not to have that same effect. When I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, there was a bounty on coyotes. We could get $25 for bringing a coyote into the sheriff's office. The net effect was that the population went up. Like many other animals, they will find a way to breed more, breed more often, have more pups in their litters. With wolves, there weren't nearly as many of them, and they're not nearly as adaptable as coyotes. So the wolf depredation was significantly more effective, which is why they've been eliminated from the majority of North America, whereas the coyotes have not only stayed, but thrived. An unfortunate recent change in the law was the reapproval by the EPA of the M44 cyanide bomb for predator control. These are intended to be placed with some bait. When the animal grabs the bait, it ejects cyanide directly into the predator's mouth. This can leave behind a carcass, which will be eaten by predators, which will in turn be poisoned. But also, a dog or some other animal might go for that bait. And in fact, dogs have been killed by those. Management of wolves is a complicated issue. The livestock industry on one side is pushing for indiscriminate slaughter, even of non-problem animals. On the far opposite side are some of the environmental groups that are pushing for total protection. The reality will have to be somewhere in the middle, like the Montana model of using hunting license revenue to reimburse ranchers for depredation. We're constantly learning more about wolves, about ecosystems, and about wildlife management. And this will hopefully lead us to making better decisions each year about how to coexist with wolves. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we'll take a more in-depth look into a subject we covered briefly in one of the most popular episodes of our Two Minutes in the Yellowstone Ecosystem podcast. How do animals end up in a sanctuary? What makes an animal non-releasable, and how does it find its way to a place like the Yellowstone Wildlife Sanctuary? We will also explore a very timely issue, the spread of chronic wasting disease in American deer populations. Our education manager, Courtney Long, has been working for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks on inspections and testing, and she'll explain what CWD actually is, how it's spreading, and what it means to you, your pets, and other animals. Do you have comments about this podcast or questions for upcoming episodes? 
email podcast at yellowstonewildlife.org or leave us a text or voicemail at 406-426-1210. Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem is a production of the Yellowstone Wildlife Sanctuary in Red Lodge, Montana. Our theme music was written and performed by Justin Satterfield and recorded by Sean Keeney. For show notes and links, please visit yellowstoneecosystem.com. I'm your host, Gary Robson, and I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem.